Lord, we do thank you for this fellowship of your people. And we thank you for the gifts and talents that are given to us that we can share with one another, practical gifts and talents that have been shared over many years in this building and with the stewardship and the maintenance of our resources for the work that was done this past couple of weeks in our building there to do with the dry rot and all the practical things that have to be attended to now and for our managers as they exercise oversight over these things. But also for our managers and elders as we think of the future and for the resources you have blessed us with for generous gifts given in the past and in the present that enable us to serve others and to look to the future. And so make us good stewards of these resources, we pray, and grant us wisdom as we handle the money and our buildings, and as we seek as a people of God to journey on, we do pray for your servants, Fabry and Elaine, and we do commend them to you, and we do ask that you would give them real grace and wisdom, and for the children, that you would protect them from maybe hearing too much that would maybe Perhaps put them off the things of God and your church. And we do pray for Fabry, particularly this coming week, that you would reveal yourself to him as your servants bring your word. And that you would give him a fresh vision of who you are. And of what it means to serve you in his setting, in their setting, and in their life. And we do commend our brothers and sisters to you. Look forward to hearing them when they come and share with us in a couple of weeks' time. But we thank you for one another and for the practical ministry that goes on of listening and caring and praying and supporting and giving lifts to and helping out in, in needful ways. And we thank you for those bonds of fellowship. And so as we turn now to your word and consider, yes, Moses, an example of leadership and of what that meant for your people, so, O oh, sovereign God, give us ears to hear and hearts and minds that are open and ready to respond to all that you would have us hear and listen to through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. No doubt many of us heard this week the, the warnings that our oceans are getting warmer. Although as one of our dear friends that we were visiting yesterday, a minister and his wife, dear friends we've known for a long time now, he was saying, or she was saying, if you went on the sea, for instance, if, if I was brave enough this coming week to run into the sea at Bucky or Cullen and have a cardiac arrest. Uh, um, but, you know, I wouldn't find it very warm. Um, but... You know, we heard this week that the seas are supposedly warming. That's obviously causing effects on the climate. And, you know, there are effects. There's no doubt about that. And also, you know, the ice caps melting and all these other things. And the, the gloom and doom report that seems to often we hear about this matter. And it may be this morning that some of you put that down on your sheet. You are concerned about that. And maybe not just for yourself, but for your children or grandchildren, for younger people brought up in a world where there's great deals of uncertainty. The war in Ukraine, the issue of China, the tensions within our own society, socially, 
and politically. Um, I heard this week of a, of a very concerning situation where a group of, and I would have to say a group of, this is not true of all people um, like this, but a group of gay activists who were protesting and seeking to use influence on a, a council to prevent the council from giving permission for a, a former school building to be taken over and used as a church because this group claimed that because the church was homophobic and brought out all sorts of information claiming that it was, which it wasn't, of course. And God sovereignly overruled, thankfully, as somebody from the Scottish government overruled the council and said that, of course, the church could purchase and use that building. But those types of pressures within our society. I was reading an article some time ago in the Times magazine at the weekend of, a, of an MP, a lady MP down in Westminster, who's deeply troubled. And, and this particular, and I would need to get more information about this, but in this article, she was speaking of her concerns that the medical evidence is, and I was sharing with one of the members here, that a third, a third, of all pregnancies in Britain today end up in abortions. I don't know about you, but that's terrible. Terrible. And then I was also hearing of situations where within our schools, particularly in secondary schools, but also in primary schools, sadly now, the whole trans issue is presented not as one situation where some people just, well, either desire or whatever, but actually pushed. And young people are encouraged to explore these issues and, of course, the effects that these issues have on their bodies and on their minds. And it reminded me of the warning given through Moses and through the prophets of the Old Testament to God's people that they must not fall into the sins of the nations round about. And particularly the various gods are mentioned include the god Molech, a Canaanite pagan deity who demanded the sacrifice of children, of the innocent. And yet we live in a society where many young children and vulnerable people are effectively being sacrificed and their futures being sacrificed. And so what kind of leaders does our nation need? That's a big question. And what kind of leaders does the church need in order to face the times in which we live? Well, the heartening thing is, as we turn to the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, that we discover the truth of what the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, that there is nothing new under the sun. That the issues, the molex of today and all the other issues we face, continue to appear in Old Testament times. Yes, how they manifest themselves in the 21st century may be different, but behind it, there is the same source. Because, of course, the devil, the father of lies, the great deceiver, the one who in the garden said to Adam and Eve, oh, if only you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God's. He is still at war. He knows, my friends, and we need to affirm this as God's people, he knows that he's defeated. 
He jumped up and down in a sense when the Son of God hung on that cross and he fled when the tomb broke forth and the Son was raised. We'll come again to judge the living and the dead. But in the same way as back in the last war at Stalingrad and in El Alamein, Nazi Germany was given defeats that meant that ultimately they were defeated. But that didn't mean, did it? In 1942 and 43, they just wove the white flag and said, well, that's it. And then, of course, it didn't. Countless millions suffered in the camps of Auschwitz and everything else before the war ended. So the devil, although he knows he's defeated, is not going to go quietly. manifests his schemes and his attempts to destroy and lead to death, all done so often, claiming to be progressive and inclusive and contemporary and caring and loving, but actually leading people down that broad road that leads to destruction. What kind of of leaders do we need? Well, we saw last Sunday, we'll see again today just for a short time, far too big. A, you could do a whole series of seminars if somebody more younger, more able, and these kind of things could do it on the story of the great leaders of the Old Testament. But as we saw last Sunday, when Moses came down and confronted idolatry in the camp within the household of God, and of course we need to remember that judgment begins, first of all, with the household of the Lord before it begins anywhere else. The church stands before the Lord, and we who know more, abundantly more, we who have received more, the very grace of God, so more is expected. He has been given much, much is expected. He who thinks he stands, beware lest he fall. That same God comes to his church, and we saw last Sunday, and deals with the sin of idolatry, where even within the church, we're tempted to turn our focus, not upon the living God, not to hear what he has to say given to us through his word. And remember how the Ten Commandments, the stones in them, ended up in pieces, but we don't, I'm speaking here about the church, not necessarily you good folks in this building this morning, but the church doesn't always do that. You only need to listen to the twee service this morning from Scotland on Radio 4. From a woman who's no better, Sally Magnuson, and that kind of Celtic folklore tweeness that so often inhabits the church in Scotland, and has nothing to say to the people of Scotland. And Moses dealt with it firmly, but he also prayed. So let's turn and look at how that works out in a few more incidents within God's work. Let's turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. We're only going to touch upon these stories. I'd encourage you on your own to read them later. I think I do. I've told you on a number of occasions, our dear brother Mark, Mark Sharp, a faithful servant of the Lord he was, and used to say to us that on a Sunday when he went home, if he began to read the passage in a way we'd been looked at on the Sunday morning and everything else, the whole day he was taken up with thinking about what the Lord was saying through his word, not because of me, um, but because simply the Lord was speaking to him. This is the Lord's day. Take the chance to read his word and read more of this story because it's important we do that. But let's turn first to Hebrew, Numbers chapter 11. 
And we read in verse 1, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And so that place was called Tabara, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and ground it in the hand mill or crushed it into mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted like something made with olive oil. And when the Jews settled in the camp at night, the manna also came down. Manna, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents and the Lord became exceedingly angry. Moses was troubled and he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised, an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They kept wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes and do, do not let me face my own ruin. And the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparations for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we are better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat for it just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stay around the stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and I put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. And the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of the Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. 
it started them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kilbroth Hatavar, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. And from Kilbroth Hatavar the people travelled to Hazaroth and stayed there. You can almost hear, can't you, the anguish that Moses has. And as a leader, and this is true, and I'm sure we find this not just in church life, but in secular life, perhaps as someone who is involved in leadership in our working life, or is still involved as a teacher, as a manager, or whatever else, sometimes it can just seem overwhelming. And the resources required to deal with the needs, with the problems, with the issues, are just not available. There isn't the money. There aren't the people. There isn't the time. I don't have the strength or the wisdom or whatever in order to deal with the problems we face. You could see that. You can see why many people don't want to put themselves forward for leadership in our world, for instance, because of the great needs and the demands. And folk must think, well, surely it's just beyond me. And even within the life of the church, it's become increasingly an issue. Will people rise up to the call to serve within an organization, amongst a ministry or activity within the life of the church, or serve as elders or office bearers, those who will help, for instance, in the tech team or in other things, which is a responsible position. Bless those who do, but no, is there a willingness to do that, to give of their time and their talents? Or yes, to respond to the call to be a pastor and teacher. It can all just seem too much. And yet even this story, and as I say, there's enough in this to keep us going for the rest of the day. Actually, there may well be enough to keep us going for the rest of the day. In this story, we see an insight as to what happens when in our weakness and in our need, we call upon the Lord. And that's what Moses does here. There's obviously parts of the story that we maybe find difficult. It certainly is a warning to us that if we moan and complain and groan, we might get more than we bargained for from the Lord. He gives us what we want eventually, even if what we want isn't the best thing for us. And just as surely as the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as they ate it, and it tasted sweet, but then turned bitter as their eyes were opened, so we might complain and moan and groan and ask for this, that, and other, or particularly here the issue is we wish that things were radically different. There, they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to the land they were in bondage to. They want to go back, in in a very real sense, to their pre-saved state. Remember the psalmist? Psalm 77, is it? When he's having a good moan. 
She says, oh, she says, don't believers just go about and get on with life and they carry on and they don't have any of the hassles that I have. And then the psalmist says, and as I began to think like that, he said, I began to come to my senses to realize how dangerous that way is, that way of thinking is, and how I stopped myself as I came into the sanctuary and began to consider what their real ending is. And when I did that, I came to my senses and I repented. Psalm 73 where he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings you punishment. I envied the arrogant. They have no struggles. And then he says, but if I'd spoken like that, I'd have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. And you hold me by my right hand. Psalm 73. Well, the people here were embittered. Egypt, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic, all sounds so wonderful. What about the lashes at the whip's end? What about the bricks that they had to make with mud and then they didn't even get the straw to finish them off properly? What about the fact that they were enslaved and did not have freedom and that death was at the door of their children born to them? All that was forgotten about. Their guts, their hungers, their lust took them over. And the job of a leader of God's people, when that spirit begins to appear amongst or within a heart or amongst people of God, is to pray, to seek God's face, to tell him how things really are with you, to be honest and open and say, I can't manage. There's no way that I can deal with this problem. Even if all the fish in the sea were caught, would that be enough for them? And to seek his face. A true leader, whether it's of the ladies' association or park kids, or as an elder or manager faced with very real challenges. You know, we could keep opening up bits here, couldn't we? <laughs> there could always be something to be done. We need to seek God's face. Come, humble. He who lacks wisdom, ask for it. Without doubting, but in faith. The promise is, that we will receive it if we ask in that spirit. And the Lord gives Moses other people to help him in that. We touched upon that another version of that story from the book of Exodus. He's not alone. He feels alone, but he's not alone. 
Others are given. Another 70 of the elders are brought together. The Spirit of God comes upon them and they prophesy. That is, they speak God's word into the situation. A good leader will listen to other leaders. He will have or she will have a team round about them that will help to bring counsel and advice so that together they can discern the mind of the Lord. And yes, it's sometimes the youthful enthusiasm of Joshua, bless him, has to be tampered, or tempered rather, not tampered, tempered, and managed. Because ultimately, God will have his way. It was the season. It was the season of God's judgment. And in his provision, his holiness and his purposes are revealed. And as we think of leadership, as we look to the future for people to lead us as a church, as not just me, but others of us feel the passing of years and are concerned about the burdens of buildings and the concerns as a congregation of the challenges we face to the future, we must seek his face. That's why I encourage folk to join us and pray on a Saturday morning and on Zoom. We don't even need to turn up at nine o'clock in the morning. We can go on Zoom and join in prayer for God's work, not just here, but in the wider world. We seek his face. We work with others who have the gifts and talents that we require. We seek to know God's word and we allow the Lord to do the provision. And he is faithful. Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Just during the week there, concerned with the particular issues we have there at the back of the church. And Scott, our dear brother and former priestess, reminded me, if I needed to be reminded, that the Lord provided in the past far more actually far more, hundreds of thousands of pounds of work was done. And he'll provide for us in the future. Not just in dealing with rot, but giving us the resources and the people we need to do his purposes. Let's sing together a hymn that reminds us of that abundant grace of God. Later on in your own time, you can read the story of Numbers chapter 14, where the people arrive at the banks of the Jordan to cross into the land of the promise. They hear the reports, fear grips their souls, they rebel, and they do not enter the land. And there's a powerful story there, but time has moved on, so we'll leave that for you to read and reflect upon later. But the warning that then they try to do it in their own strength. And disaster falls. Numbers chapter 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. And there Miriam, the sister of Aaron, died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. 
Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. There is a debate about the setting of this story. Is this story the one from way back in the book of Exodus when they come out of the land and there is no water and water from the rock, Exodus chapter 14. That was in their journey when they left Egypt and went through the land. Or is this a repeat after they couldn't enter into the land of promise? You remember the story. And this is where I have to take for granted that most of us listening on here or either online have some background. Remember, they could have got to the land of promise within months, within a month or more, just over a month. But they didn't. So what happened? They spent 40 years in the wilderness going round and round and repeating the same mistakes. And my friends, that's one of the challenges that any leader of God's church is to warn against and to guard against. How many, yes, congregations, how much of the church so often simply repeats the same mistake? They lose sight of the Lord, let their fears or their desires for their own glory, or whatever it may be to take precedent, they miss out on the opportunity that God has given. And I can think of congregations have done that. And what did they face? They faced a wilderness experience. And sadly, often, the congregations don't survive that wilderness experience. They go round in circles and go nowhere. And that is probably the setting of this story. They're simply repeating the mistakes from the past. And so they're complaining. They do make reference of the fact would have been better if we had died with our brothers, the, the brothers that fell dead before the Lord. Verse 3 of chapter 20. They had seen God's hand at work. They had been warned that they shouldn't mess with him. And my friends, this morning I say this to all of us, it is a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And his judgments are true. And yes, there is the final judgment before which all of us will have to give an account. There's also the judgments that fall upon us in life. 
consequence of our sin and of our rebellion and of our lack of faith and of our waywardness, of our self-centeredness, of allowing the things in the world and their agenda to determine how we view our life of faith. And so we allow the lusts of the world I don't just mean sexual lust, the desire to have, to possess, to be, all of those things take us over. They turn bitter in the mouth. And our children suffer. And we become spiritually bankrupt. And we don't know God anymore in any personal way, and we wander in a wilderness of our own making. And so that is God's people. And God in his mercy provides for them. But notice what happens. Moses has had enough. Listen, you rebels. I certainly wouldn't advise any minister or church leader ever to get up. I'm going to be some of that, but I wouldn't advise any minister, even though they're tested, to get up to the congregation and say, listen, you rebels. But listen, more importantly, what he says, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then he raises his arm and he strikes the rock. But what does he do? He strikes it twice. I'm going to show you Bang! Bang! And the water rushes out. And the people are provided. But God's judgment comes forth. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. It's not about me. That's one of the reasons I don't really like being in the pulpit. As soon as we get these cameras down below, the better, because I don't feel it kind of just for six feet above contradiction. All of us, all of us have to give an account. And it's not about me, it's not about the leader, it's not about your name, it's not about what you've done or how people regard you. And when leaders begin to forget that, trouble ensues. Robert and I were speaking just the other week there and he came for dinner about some crises that are within church leaders today. Some of you may know of the whole situation with Soul Survivor, the great leader that was used undoubtedly by God to bring great blessing to, to younger people, and yet his tragic fall from grace. And of how off-putting that is to the people of God. We've just been told, again, you really need to read the story. Keep you here. She brought your sandwiches um, because you could keep you here all day because it's just, it is. I mean, actually, when you get into it, I think Ian probably and Robert will understand this. Once you start getting into some of these stories, it just, it really does, it stirs your heart. But as you read the story, you realize that Moses actually is accredited with being humble, more humble than anyone else. And I've got my reference here. I should be able to find it in the book of Numbers. But he is. He's recorded as being more humble than anyone else. I can't just see my notes at the moment where it is, but we'll find it. It is it's there. And yet even that humility wasn't enough. He got annoyed. It was all about him. Not about him. And he didn't 
enter the land. Oh, my friends, this morning, have we missed out on God's promises for our life? Are we wandering in a wilderness of our own making? Because it was all about me. As we finish, I want to just lastly turn on in the story to Numbers and to Numbers chapter 27. One could understand when that happened that maybe Moses was a bit put out and kind of went in a huff. Numbers 27 and verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain in the Abraham range. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it, but it always seemed to come to these words. If you can pronounce them better, you can be up here next week and try it because some of the words are pretty hard. But anyway, he goes up to this mountain range and sees the land I've given the Israelites. After you've seen it, you too will gather to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the des- waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. They were the waters of Merib Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. And notice that point, the man in whom there is a spirit of leadership. You can be trained, and it's important to train leaders. It's important to have development and all the rest of it. All of that is important. But indeed, one of our friends was just seen this morning in his working life. He had young people he sent in management courses and all the rest of it. At the end of the day, they can do as many courses as they like. If they don't actually have the ability to do it in the first place, no amount of training and courses will instill it in them. Training courses can develop it, can mature it, can give expansion to it, can help the person to grow in his understanding or her understanding of what that means. But especially within the life of the church, the spirit of leadership has to be there. And that's God's gift, not something we can earn. So take Joshua, in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eliezer the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. And at his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out and at his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. As Paul had Timothy, so Moses has Joshua. In another week, not this coming week, but a week's time, we're having a visit from yet another committee of the denomination, the Mission, Christian Mission and Life Committee, led by the Reverend Nathan Owens. Most of us will remember Nathan and his time with us as an assistant. And they're coming to talk through with the elders. We're representatives of Helen and Bill and Ian and myself will be there to talk through about this whole desire to have a colleague and successor, a ministry assistant. The biblical warrant for it, I would suggest, is quite clear. Not because I'm Moses or indeed whoever might come will be Joshua, 
but we all need to be led or else we could go round in circles and go nowhere. And what really moves me is that Moses doesn't go in the huff because he's not going to enter the land. His prayer, his desire after being told that he's not going to enter the land is, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. That's my prayer for you for this flock, for the future. But whatever the future has, and whatever challenges we will face, we will face them. God has a shepherd who will lead you into lands that I could never lead you into. And into ways of knowing God and serving him in the community that I couldn't even begin to think about. And so do pray for that meeting next week or a week and wait. We can choose. And for Ian and Helen and Bill and myself. And yes, as we report that back, as we discern the future. And yes, can I encourage you, without naming names, there have been a couple of names already brought to our attention who might be interested in the future with us. So be encouraged. They might not be the people. And if you're listening online, don't worry, I'm not going to name you. But the Lord will provide. Is the Lord's hand too shortened? Let's not doubt. Let's have faith. And let's believe that he will raise up a new generation, not just in this little fellowship, but in the church in Scotland and in England in the United Kingdom, that God would raise up you leaders and a you generation that would lead us on in a land with all the issues I mentioned right at the beginning. Is our hearts not troubled? A third of pregnancies ending up in abortion. That God would raise up you leaders to lead his church into battle, for there will be battles into war, for there will be a war, a spiritual war, but will raise the standard of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and as he is lifted up, so he will continue to draw men and women and young people to himself. That's my prayer. I think that's your prayer. And God always keeps his amen so let it be let's pray together Lord I do thank you for these dear people here a company of the faithful ones in whom you delight And we thank you for your faithfulness to us as a congregation over many, many years, long before my time, that you kept the lamp burning, spiritually wise, within this house of the Lord. And we give you the praise and the glory 
and the honour for doing that. And we do pray for the future. We do pray for our leaders as they meet with representatives of our denomination. We thank you for the United Free Church. I remember years ago when somebody asked me, a colleague from the Church of Scotland asked me why I was going into such a small, in many ways such a fragile congregation, and I reminded them that I'd rather be in a rowing boat that was sailing on the water than the Titanic that was sinking. And so we thank you for our leaders within the denomination, and we pray for them, not just as they deal with us, but as they deal with many great and serious, and sometimes almost overwhelming issues, Grant them that faith. Grant them that wisdom. Grant them that insight. Grant them that courage to lead your church on. This part of your church. This small part of your church, but nonetheless this part of your church on into your purposes for us in this day and in this generation. We pray that for the denomination. We pray that for our own congregation and for our meetings with the leaders of our church. We ask for your forgiveness for ourselves, for the times we've not given you the glory and honor, for the times we've rushed ahead when we should have waited upon you, for the times when we've allowed the world's agenda and its lusts and desires to determine who we are, what we consume, how we behave. And we recognize that there is always a consequence for that. Have mercy upon your people, we pray. And have mercy upon our land. And upon this our world. With all its evident need and brokenness consequence of our infidelity towards you, our creator God. And raise up within the church of Jesus Christ in our world today leaders who have your spirit, who know your character as Moses did, and your word will be able to speak forth your truth in these days. We hear the clock chiming 12 o'clock. It's time to draw this service of worship to an end. But Lord, our times are in your hands. And we would leave them there for the glory and honour of Jesus' name. Amen.